0: Chapter Forty Three of Jenny Gerhardt by Theodor Dreiser. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. This attempt at coercion was the one thing, which would definitely set Lester in opposition to his family, at least for the time being. He had realized clearly enough of late, that he had made a big mistake first, in not having married Jenny, thus avoiding scandal, and in the second place in not having accepted her proposition at the time when she wanted to leave him. There were no two ways about it. He had made a mess of this business. He could not afford to lose his fortune entirely. He did not have enough money of his own. Jenny was unhappy. He could see that. Why shouldn't she be? He was unhappy. Did he want to accept the shabby ten thousand a year, even if he were willing to marry her? Finally. Did he want to lose Jenny, to have her go out of his life once and for all? He could not make up his mind. The problem was too complicated. When Lester returned to his home after the funeral, Jenny saw at once that something was amiss with him. Something beyond. A son's natural grief for his father's death was weighing upon his spirits. What was it? she wondered. She tried to draw near him, sympathetically, but his wounded spirit could not be healed so easily. When hurt in his pride, he was savage and sullen. He could have struck any man who irritated him. She watched him interestedly, wishing to do something for him, but he would not give her his confidence. He grieved, and she could only grieve with him. Days passed, and now the financial situation which had been created by his father's death, came up for careful consideration. The factory management had to be reorganized. Robert would have to be made president, as his father wished. Lester's own relationship to the business would have to come up for adjudication. Unless he changed his mind about Jenny, he was not a stockholder. As a matter of fact, he was not anything. To continue to be secretary and treasurer, it was necessary that he should own at least one share of the company's stock. Would Robert give him any? Would Amy, Louise, or Imogene? Would they sell him any? Would the other members of the family care to do anything which would infringe on Robert's prerogatives under the will? They were all rather unfriendly to Lester at present, and he realized that he was facing a ticklish situation. The solution was to get rid of Jenny. If he did that, he would not need to be begging for stock. If he didn't, he was flying in the face of his father's last will and testament. He turned the matter over in his mind, slowly and deliberately. He could quite see how things were coming out. He must abandon either Jenny or his prospects in life. What a dilemma! Despite Robert's assertion, that so far as he was concerned another arrangement would have been satisfactory, he was really very well pleased with the situation. His dreams were slowly nearing completion. Robert had long had his plans perfected, not only for a thorough reorganization of the company proper, but for an extension of the business in the direction of a combination of carriage companies. If he could get two or three of the larger organizations in the East and West to join with him, selling costs could be reduced, overproduction would be avoided, and the general expenses could be materially scaled down. Through a New York representative, he had been picking up stock in outside carriage companies for some time, and he was almost ready to act. In the first place, he would have himself elected president of Kane Company and since Lester was no longer a factor, he could select Amy's husband as vice-president, and possibly someone other than Lester as secretary and treasurer. Under the conditions of the will, the stock and other properties set aside temporarily for Lester in the hope that he would come to his senses were to be managed and voted by Robert. His father had meant, obviously, that he, Robert, should help him coerce his brother. He did not want to appear mean, but this was such an easy way it gave him a righteous duty to perform. Lester must come to his senses, or he must let Robert run the business to suit himself. Lester, attending to his branch duties in Chicago, foresaw the drift of things. He realized now that he was permanently out of the company. A branch manager had his brother's sufferance, and the thought irritated him greatly. Nothing had been said by Robert to indicate such a change had taken place. Things went on very much as before, but Robert's suggestions were now obviously law. Lester was really his brother's employee at so much a year. It sickened his soul. There came a time, after a few weeks, when he felt as if he could not stand this any longer. Hitherto he had been a free and independent agent. The approaching annual stockholders' meeting, which hitherto had been a one-man affair and a formality, his father doing all the voting, would now be a combination of voters, his brother presiding, his sisters very likely represented by their husbands, and he not there at all. It was going to be a great come-down, but as Robert had not said anything about offering to give or sell him any stock which would entitle him to sit as a director, or hold any official position in the company, he decided to write and resign. That would bring matters to a crisis. It would show his brother that he felt no desire to be under obligations to him in any way, or to retain anything which was not his, and gladly so, by right of ability and the desire of those with whom he was associated. If he wanted to move back into the company, By deserting Jenny, he would come in in a very different capacity from that of branch manager. He dictated a simple, straightforward business letter, saying, Dear Robert, I know the time is drawing near when the company must be reorganized under your direction. Not having any stock, I am not entitled to sit as a director or to hold the joint position of secretary and treasurer. I want you to accept this letter as a formal notice of my resignation from both positions, and I want to have your directors consider what disposition should be made of this position and my services. I am not anxious to retain the branch managership as a branch managership merely. At the same time, I do not want to do anything which will embarrass you in your plans for the future. You see, by this that I am not ready to accept the proposition laid down in Father's will, at least not at present. I would like a definite understanding of how you feel in this matter. Will you write and let me know? Yours, Lester Robert, sitting in his office at Cincinnati, considered this letter gravely. It was like his brother to come down to brass tacks, If Lester were only as cautious as he was straightforward and direct, what a man he would be. But there was no guile in the man, no subtlety. He would never do a snaky thing, and Robert knew in his own soul that to succeed greatly one must. You have to be ruthless at times. You have to be subtle, Robert would say to himself. Why not face the facts to yourself when you are playing for big stakes? He would, for one, and he did. Robert felt that although Lester was a tremendously decent fellow and his brother, he wasn't pliable enough to suit his needs. He was too outspoken, too inclined to take issue. If Lester yielded to his father's wishes and took possession of his share of the estate, he would become, necessarily, an active partner in the affairs of the company. Lester would be a barrier in Robert's path. Did Robert want this? Decidedly, he did not. He much preferred that Lester should hold fast to Jenny, for the present at least, and so be quietly shelved by his own act. After long consideration, Robert dictated a politic letter. He hadn't made up his mind yet just what he wanted to do. He did not know what his sister's husbands would like. A consultation would have to be held. For his part, he would be very glad to have Lester remain as secretary and treasurer, if it could be arranged. Perhaps it would be better to let the matter rest for the present." Lester cursed. What did Robert mean by beating around the bush? He knew well enough how it could be arranged. One share of stock would be enough for Lester to qualify. Robert was afraid of him. That was the basic fact. Well. He would not retain any branch managership, depend on that. He would resign at once. Lester, accordingly, wrote back, saying that he had considered all sides and had decided to look after some interests of his own for the time being. If Robert could arrange it, he would like to have someone come on to Chicago and take over the branch agency. Thirty days would be time enough. In a few days came a regretful reply, saying that Robert was awfully sorry, but that if Lester was determined he did not want to interfere with any plans he might have in view. Imogene's husband, Jefferson Midgley, had long thought he would like to reside in Chicago. He could undertake the work for the time being. Lester smiled. Evidently, Robert was making the best of a very subtle situation. Robert knew that he, Lester, could sue and tie things up, and also that he would be very loath to do so. The newspapers would get a hold of the whole story. This matter of his relationship to Jenny was in the air anyhow. He could best solve the problem by leaving her. So it all came back to that. End of Chapter 43